0: Thanks, Dad. Uh, Before we jump into our sermon, I want to say two things. One, a word of gratitude and the other word of confession. The word of gratitude is that uh, 15 years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, returned from our honeymoon, having just been married, and uh, stopped at Lake Oconee because all our stuff had been shipped uh, to my parents' house uh, because we were about to move uh, immediately to New York City and begin our life and ministry up there. Uh, we worshiped at Lake Oconee on that Sunday and then uh, packed our van uh, and uh, packed the moving truck and, and uh, moved up uh, to New York where I started uh, as an intern at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church all those years ago. And from that time, uh, Lake Oconee, uh, you have walked with us uh, through all my different ministry positions as an intern, as an assistant pastor, as an executive pastor over a church planning network, and now as a, a senior pastor of a church Uh, And it has been such a gift to have you all with me to support us in prayer, to support us financially, to walk alongside us, uh, not just in ministry, but to love my children when they are here, uh, four kids later. Uh, We could not have done it without you. And so I am so deeply grateful. Uh, And on behalf of my church, Resurrection Park Slope, I want to extend my uh, deepest gratitude uh, to all of you for uh, all of your support it's great to be here and to see some old familiar faces uh, and to see so many new faces as well uh, and to celebrate with you what God is doing here uh, at Lake Oconee the word of confession is uh, that uh, this is not a Father's Day sermon and I know what you're thinking dad introduces the son Luke chapter 15 the story of the prodigal son it's Father's Day let's make this thing happen I wanted to confess to you that I didn't even put that together until Marion emailed me later, earlier this week and said, hey, the, the, parable, the parable of the prodigal son, what an appropriate text for Father's Day. And I said, yes, yes it is. And I, of course, had not thought of that at all. So uh, some of you are going to be greatly disappointed because it's not a Father's Day sermon. Some of you are going to be uh, excited because you don't have to sit through a Father's Day sermon uh most of you are probably uh now only thinking uh, of the fact that it's not a father's day sermon and are wondering how i could have missed all these uh, easy connections uh given all that's uh, happened today so uh i just wanted to let you know that i'm doing the best i can uh so we're going to jump in uh to luke uh, chapter 15 let me pray and we'll get going god we give you great thanks um for this day we are so glad that we get to the Celebrate your word and your truth. Uh, to delight in the fact that you are at work in our world, you are at work in this church. Um, from sending out uh, these missionaries this week uh, to delighting and and uh, offering up our prayers and our needs uh, to you, we are uh, grateful. Uh, so God, we pray now that as we give our attention to your word, that you would open up our eyes, that we would see uh, all the ways in which you are so active in our lives, in our in our and in our world, in this town. Lord, we pray you would open up our ears. We need to hear your word. We need to hear your truth, and it needs to shape us and transform us. And most importantly, Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts. That in giving ourselves to your word and considering uh, all that you have said, uh, all that Jesus gives us in this text, that we would be transformed more and more into the likeness of your Son and our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the great joys about living in New York City is uh, the constant uh, event of stumbling across some sort of party, some sort of celebration that uh, you just, uh, on uh, first seeing it, you have no idea what it's about. This happens often. Sometimes you'll, you'll be at a very public space uh, and there'll be a large crowd celebrating and you'll ask this question, why the party? Is it a wedding? Is it a, is it a some sort of festival? Is it some sort of religious holiday? Is it a, is it a, is it a, a group of people celebrating something? Uh, and so this question is always on the lips and on the minds, uh, of New Yorkers. Why the party? Why is this, why is the parade happening? Why is the traffic closed? Why is the block cut off? Why are these, all this, this crowd here? Uh, it's this big question, why the party? But then there's also this second question that is always on, the uh, minds uh, and on the lips of new Yorkers because upon seeing such a party in such uh, uh, often often a very uh, special place and oftentimes sometimes a very apparently expensive place the second question is how much does all this cost who's paying for this how much does it cost to throw this party how much does it cost to have this wedding at the uh, botanic gardens or in in central park how much did it cost to shut off this entire street to have this uh, small parade for this uh, sort of group uh, for this uh, group of people. So these questions, why the party, and how much does it cost, are always on the minds of, uh, of any New Yorker who's navigating his way or her way uh, around the city. And the reason I bring that up to you this morning is because Jesus in his parable is actually answering those two very vital, uh, important questions for his uh, followers. Why the party, and how much... Does it cost to have the party? That's actually why Jesus tells this parable. I don't know if you uh, noticed in verses 1 and 2, we get the context and we see the audience for whom uh, Jesus is uh, is teaching these parables. Verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So so these Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, are grumbling. They're getting very annoyed that Jesus' ministry is marked by those who are on the outside, these tax collectors and sinners who are now being drawn. They're celebrating. They're eating. They're feasting with Jesus. His ministry is marked by celebration and by having this great feast and having this party. And this is very troubling to the religious leaders. So they're wondering, why is his ministry marked by such a party? And So now Jesus is answering this question. Why is your ministry marked by having such a party, and how much does it cost? The thing that's important for us this morning is that as Jesus answers this question, why the party, and he answers the other question, how much does it cost? We actually see the very nature of his ministry, what the mark of his ministry is all about, But also, what the mission of the church, what is our role in the world as we seek to follow Jesus and be faithful to his call? See, as Jesus is answering those two questions, he's helping us see the nature of his ministry and the mission of the church. And so I want us this morning, just for a few moments, to explore these two questions in light of this text. Why the party and how much does it cost? So first, why the party? Why is Jesus' ministry marked by a party? Well, the answer is is kind of straightforward, at least on the surface, is that the Father is welcoming back the the Son who had squandered everything and made a mess of his life, and for the Father, that is reason to celebrate. So let's take a look at the Son, what the Son has done here. Um, In this parable, right off the bat, you see the folly and the rebellion of the Son. He has made such a mess of things. First, in verse twelve, he goes uh, to the Father. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property, that is the father divided his property between them. Then in verse 13, you see that the son, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So in other words, his share of the property, the son takes the share of the property and then sells it for resources, sells it for their version of cash, and then takes the money with them. And so what I want you to understand in what all this means is, first, that the the amount of shame that the son would have brought to the father by doing this. When the son asks the father for his share of the property, the son is essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so that then I could get the property, because that's the only way that he's going to get this property. So he wants his, he's wishing his father were dead. And then second, in the selling off of the land for cash, there was this further humiliation because the land was most, was the most valuable of commodities. Because when you had land, that ensured that you, generation after generation would be able to survive and even to flourish because you had this land and you could farm that land and it had, it had unlimited resources. So to go and then sell the land meant you're squandering all, all of this, uh, all of these resources. So now the, the son has struck really two blows against his father. But it gets worse for the father, and it gets worse for the son, and therefore for the father. It's the fact that the son leaves it all. Certainly in our western, modern, late modern age, uh, the goal of every parent is to have their children out of the house at a certain age. So that they can go make it on their own, so that they can go flourish, and they, uh, and, and make a name for themselves. That's what, that's what we want, that's the, the American, part of the American dream, is to have the kids out of the house, making it on their own. But in Jesus' culture, this too would have been shameful because the younger son is abandoning his obligation to care for his father and to do his part for the family. He's abandoning him in his old age. And so the son severs his relationship. He squanders his entire inheritance. And then he makes it off into the far country where he runs into trouble because now there's famine in the land, according to the parable. There's this great famine in the land. And so now the son is forced out of desperation to hire himself out. He's sent off to feed the pigs. And he gets so hungry that he longs to share and eat the pigs' food. I mean, that's the place that he's at. That's about as low as it can get. And that's what Jesus wants you to see in this parable. The son can't get any lower. All right, so that's the son. That's the younger son that uh, that we're looking at, that Jesus is telling. But also I want you just carefully to notice then how the, the son views the father. How the son views the father, mainly, chiefly, the the son views the father as a provider and not a person. He views him as a provider and not a person because the son wants the father to give him what he needs, to give him what he wants, and then to stand back. Get out of my life, leave me alone, give me my inheritance, and then get out of the way. And even in verse uh, 17, you see the son rehearsing. He's he's at he's at his end. He knows he has to go back to the father. And so he begins to rehearse what he's going to say. And even in the rehearsal, when he says, uh, but when the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. So I'll rise and go to my father and say, father, I've sinned against you uh, against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the son, the son's great need, the son is like doing this, this calculation, He's not saying, look, I know my father loves me. I know he's going to welcome me back no matter what. No, he's saying, okay, how do I how do I get back in his good graces? I have needs. I need to go to my father. And so I need to figure out how I can get some of, of be able to, to live again under, under uh, his roof. He's thinking about his own need for food and how he can best get it. He's not saying, look, I know the father loves me. So look, this is the prodigal son. This is the younger son. He's off in the far country. He's made a mess of his life. He's brought shame on his family. He's treating his father as only a provider and not uh, as a person. And now even on his return, he's thinking strictly in terms of how he can get what he needs from his father. And so what I want you to see is that as bad as this is, as dark as this is, there is still a party. Think about this. There is still a party because the son returns home and he finds not an angry father, not a father that's ready to punish him, not a father that's ready to to send him away, but the son finds a generous father who is delighted upon his return. And that's the other part of the answer to this question, why the party? Why throw this party? Because the father delights in the return of his son. Now remember, Jesus is, is telling this parable to the Pharisees. They are his primary audience. And the whole time the Pharisees are hearing Jesus tell this parable, they know what should happen to the son. They know what should happen to the younger son. They know what the father should do. Having suffered this kind of humiliation, having had this son disrespect the father like this, being used like this, they know what the right thing to do is for the father. The father should reject the son. You send him away. No, son, there's no more room here. You had your chance. You're lost. You're gone. Go back to the pigs. That's what you want. That's what you deserve. And so you have to understand the shock of this story is that it is not, the the shock of the story is that this is not the reaction of the father. That's not the reaction. The father sees him. And while still a long way off, the father goes running to, to his son. Verse 20, he is moved with compassion. He ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. This is before the, the son makes any kind of speech. This is before any explanation is offered. This is before anything that of, of, of I'm sorry is given. The father sees the son in the distance and goes running to him. And, of course, you have to understand in this culture, senior figure, figures uh, are not, uh, are, were far too dignified to run anywhere, let alone run towards the son uh, as soon as uh, he's seen uh, dragging himself back home. And then you see the father, without any hesitation, throw a party for his son. The best robe. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Go get the fattened calf. It's time to eat and to celebrate. And these words are heard. This is what is heard in verse, in verse uh, 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus says in the parable that they began to celebrate. So this is the point of the parable. That Jesus explains that there is always a party. When people turn from God, turn from their own way, turn, uh, turn from their own way, turn towards God and return to him. This is what Jesus has come to do, to call people to repentance, to invite them back into the life of God the Father. And now as Jesus' kingdom is beginning to take shape and people are putting their faith in him, there is so much to celebrate. This is the end of the exile. This is the people of God who for centuries until Jesus had come, had been in the far country. Off in a land waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. Waiting for God to come through on his promises. And now that Messiah has come and he is Jesus. And now people are returning home. And as they do, they are finding this heavenly father welcoming them back. Delighting in their return. And so what Jesus is saying is that this level of restoration, that this is a resurrection story. Only God can do this, this kind of radical act of forgiveness, this kind of radical act of love. Only he can do this. The father has restored his son to life in the story. And Jesus is introducing the world to his heavenly father who runs after those who return to him and lavishes them with generosity and throws a party. And so Jesus isn't just telling this uh, story about one son as though it were a rare occurrence In telling this parable, Jesus is telling the story of the world. Hear that again. Jesus is telling the story of the world and telling the story of the prodigal son. Because to be a Christian means that this is your story too. This is your story. Because our sin and our rebellion, we find ourselves in the far country. Having been created and loved by the one who made us in his image, we have squandered the father's gifts that he has given us. And so oftentimes we too, just like the younger son, We treat God as as one, only as a provider, only who will give us what we want, and then we ask him to get out of the way and leave us alone. And yet, having come to ourselves upon our return in repentance, we find the kindness and the love of a God who is ready to throw a party. And so the question for us this morning is, do do you see that this is how God loves you? Do you see that this is how he loves you, that he delights in your return? That he throws a party for you. This is why our worship ought to be, first and foremost, a celebration. This is why we hug one another and talk and laugh and delight with one another. This is when we have a communion in in my church each and every week. We gather together and it is laughter and it is joy because we are being welcomed back into the presence of a father who delights for us and throws a party for us. We have this Father in heaven who is so gracious and so kind and so generous that he welcomes us back. Even though you and I have made such a mess of things, he welcomes us back. Only he can do this. Only he can bring us back to this kind of life. So listen, at the very heart of your life together as a church, of our collective life together, as we share this life with Jesus, is a celebration. And I want you to know that I know that so many of you struggle with doubt. You are filled with grief. Grief. You are living in uh, with an uncertain future. You are facing a week or months, so much that you do not know and can't quite understand. And your own life doesn't make sense to you. But I want you to listen to me. This is your God. In spite of all of that, this is your God. This is your Father, and he delights upon your return, and he welcomes you back always. Always. So why the party? Because the good news is broken forth in the world. The Father is welcoming people back into his life. We were dead. But now we are alive again. We were lost, but now we are found. And we need to celebrate that reality. We need to constantly celebrate that reality. But like I said, there's this other question that's sort of looming in the background. It's not just why the party... But it's how much does this cost? What does it cost to throw a party like this? Now you don't ask that at a party if you if you know you can if you know you can handle the cost. You don't ask that at a party if you're delighting in the party and, and just completely uh, celebrating celebrating that. You ask that question if you're nervous about it or if you're angry that the party even is actually happening. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are asking. That's why they're asking the question. And that's exactly what the elder brother in this story asks as well. The elder brother is angry and jealous of his brother and the party that is being thrown. Listen, the elder brother, he has served. He has obeyed. He's never asked for his inheritance. He didn't wish his father were dead. He did what he was supposed to do. And you hear his anger in this text in verse 29. He says, look, these many years I served you. A better translation is these many years I slaved for you. And in verse 30, he can't even refer to, to, his, uh, he can't refer to his, the younger brother as his brother. He says, when this son of yours came back, it's not even when my brother came back. It's like when this son of yours came back. The elder brother has already disowned his, his younger brother. So he's not, now just filled with anger over the return of his brother. But there's a real problem here for the elder brother. There's a, there's a real consequence to what the younger brother has done. The problem is that the elder brother... And the father now, they're the ones that are sharing the inheritance. Remember, the younger brother took his inheritance. He sold it all away, took those resources, and squandered it all. So now there's only a smaller piece of the pie. There's half the inheritance. And now the father and the elder brother have to share it. And so this party that's being thrown, guess who's paying for it? Guess, guess where the money's coming? Guess where the resources, guess where the fattened calf is coming from? It's from the elder brother. It's his inheritance now. So this party is being thrown. It's coming out of the elder brother's inheritance. And so for the elder brother, this is a zero-sum game. If the younger brother wins, then I'm losing. If, If the father's going to be generous to one son, that means it's going to be taken away from the other. And this is what made the Pharisees so mad about Jesus and his ministry. Because the Pharisees, in so many ways, were like the elder brother. They kept the law, or so they thought. They obeyed, they, they followed, they did what they were supposed to do. And now Jesus is, is the one who's seen with all these sinners. He's hanging out, he's partying, and he's welcoming them. And they're thinking, well, what about us? Why do the tax collectors and the sinners get in? We were the ones who've been faithful. We've, we've, we're the ones who've been waiting for God to come. And so the elder brother in the story, as the Pharisees, they've missed it. He's missed the love of the Father put on display. And he doesn't think he needs the grace and the generosity of the Father. After all, he's earned it. So why would he need any? Why would he need this grace? And so, and so, in the same way, the Pharisees keep missing this new world that is bursting forth in the ministry and the life of Jesus. This new kingdom that is promised, full of grace and mercy and truth, because Jesus has come. The Pharisees have missed it all, because they can't understand why others are being welcomed in and not them. But I want to circle back as we conclude to this to this problem that the elder brother has in our parable. Part of his inheritance is going to the younger brother and he can't celebrate and he won't celebrate. And so what Jesus is answering as he tells this story, what he's answering for the world is that this kind of cosmic party. Where sinners are welcomed back, the cost for Jesus is everything. That's what it's going to cost. What Jesus is telling them in this parable is the cost of the party is me. It's going to cost everything because in a very real way, Jesus is our elder brother. He is our elder brother, but he's not jealous of his father's love, but rather he gives up his entire inheritance for our sake. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And so in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his faithfulness, in everything, he now is the one who is throwing this party. And it has cost him everything, everything, his very life, so that we would be welcomed back by the Father. And this Savior, the Jesus who we are invited to, into life with, he gladly counts the cost and still goes to the cross. For our sake, Jesus is the true elder brother who is gladly and willingly give, willing to give up his entire inheritance. So that you and I can be welcomed back into the life of the Father. So look, we're running out of time. Let me just apply this in, in, uh, in one way. The very nature of this party and the very infinite cost paid for by our elder brother Jesus means this. That you can celebrate in one another's joy. You can celebrate in one another's joy. One of the key ways that you will grow together as a congregation, that you will equip yourselves for the very life with God, that you will be a light to, to Green County and to, to the nations around you, the ways that you are going to do that is if you can celebrate in the ways that God is working in one another's lives. God's grace is not a zero-sum game. If someone is, is receiving some great blessing or delight, if they get the job or if their kids are doing well or if they're having this good health, you can actually celebrate that. It doesn't mean that God is not with you. It doesn't mean that he is not for you. It doesn't mean that he, that he does not love you. If you are going to be the community, if we are going to be the community that God is calling us to be, to bear witness to God's faithfulness and and his grace and his generosity, then it means that we're going to have to get really, really good at celebrating with one another and how God is working in our lives. And as you do that, and I know you do already, and as you do it and as you grow into that and do that even more, you are going to bear witness to one another and you're going to bear witness to the world The kindness and the generosity of this God and the elder brother that you have. This elder brother who is going to give it all, who has given it all up for your sake. And now welcomes you back and clothes you with his life and his love and his very self. This is what it means to be the church. And this is how we will, you will live together. This is how we will bear witness to the beauty and the wonder of this God whom we celebrate and this God whom we serve. This is the joy and this is the call that we celebrate. We have been invited into this party. Why the party? Because we have this great God who loves to welcome us back into his life. And what did it cost? It cost our elder brother everything. It cost him everything so that we can have life in him. This is the grounds for all that we do. This is the grounds for all that we do in our mission and in our life together. And it is our hope. So may God give you the courage and the hope and the wisdom to bear witness to this truth, to celebrate the party that God has invited us to and to delight in the fact that it has cost our Savior everything and he gives us all that he has with great hope and great generosity. Let's pray.